Hi, everyone. This is Jim Kelly, and you're listening to Free Reads. I'm back with another chapter of Men Are Trouble, written by me and read by the lovely and talented Genevieve Achel. I'm making this available to you for free under a Creative Commons license. If you like what you hear, why not drop a modest gratuity into my PayPal account over on my website, www.jimkelly.net. Or perhaps consider a subscription to my for-pay podcast over on Audible, www.audible.com slash jimkelly. Thanks for listening. And now for the live portion of the intro. Being recorded on location, secret location that is, on my Florida vacation. You can probably hear that I'm not using my usual microphone or recording in my usual space. That's right, Free Reads fans. Your dedicated narrator is stepping away from the pool and pulling off his shades to bring you the startling conclusion of Men Are Trouble. There are two things I want to cover before we begin. One is that I have kept the afterword as it appeared on the original podcast. Back then, Men Are Trouble was a finalist for the Science Fiction Writers of America's Nebula Award. So, you will hear me talking about something that hadn't happened yet at the time, but has now happened as you listen to this. In case you haven't heard, Men Are Trouble didn't bring home the Nebula. The award went to my friend and fellow Kelly, Kelly Link for her amazing Magic for Beginners. The other thing I wanted to share with you is this promo for ReaderCon. ReaderCon has long been my favorite science fiction convention, but I have all the more reason to love it this year. I'm one of the guests of honor. Pretty cool, eh? Check it out. Imagine a convention with panel titles like these. Beyond space-time and DNA, the other sciences in hard SF. The singularity needs women! Social class and speculative fiction. What? No flying car? Medieval literature as proto-SF. Tantalized? If you are, then you might want to attend ReaderCon, a literary science fiction convention and an intellectual treat. A unique place to hear both giants and emerging talents in literary SF read their work and talk about a variety of interesting topics related to science fiction, fantasy, publishing, and writing. Sign up for small gatherings over coffee with your favorite authors. Shop in the Bookalicious Dealer's Room and chat with fellow writers and fans. ReaderCon, the Conference on Imaginative Literature, 19th edition. July 17 through 20, 2008. Burlington Marriott, Burlington, Massachusetts. Guests of Honor, Jonathan Leatham and James Patrick Kelly. And Memorial Guest of Honor, Stanislaw Lem. Please visit our website at www.readercon.org. Music by DJ Top Shelf. Weapons of Mass Seduction from the album All Danced Out. PodsafeAudio.com Okay, enough stalling. 
Here's the chapter that explains the last mystery of Men Are Trouble. Eight. I had no trouble finding space at the bike rack in front of Ronald Reagan Elementary. The building seemed to be drowsing in the heavy morning air, its brick wings enfolding the empty playground. A janitor bot was vacuuming the swimming pool, another was plucking spent blossoms from the clematis fence. The bots were headache yellow, the letters RRE and puffy orange slanted across their torsos. The gardening bot informed me that school wouldn't start for an hour. That was fine with me. This was just a courtesy call, part of the total service commitment I made to all the clients whom I had failed. I asked if I could see Najma Jones, and he said he doubted that any of the teachers were in quite this early, but he walked me to the office. He paged her. I signed the visitor's log. When her voice crackled over the intercom, I told the bot that I knew the way to her classroom. I paused at the open door. Rashi's mom had her back to me. She was wearing a sleeveless navy dress with a cream-colored dupata scarf draped over her shoulders. She passed down a row of empty desks, perching origami animals at the center of each. There were three kinds of elephants, ducks and ducklings, a blue giraffe, a pink cat that might have been a lion. Please come in, Miss Hardaway, she said without turning around. She had teacher radar she could see behind her back and around a corner. I stopped by your house. I slouched into the room like a kid who had lost her civics homework. I thought I might catch you before you left for school. I leaned against the desk in the front row and picked up the purple crocodile on it. You fold these yourself? I couldn't sleep last night, she said, so I finally gave up and went for a walk. I ended up here. I like coming to school early, especially when no one else is around. There's so much time. She had one origami swan left over, which she set on her own desk. Staying after is different. If you're always the last one out at night, you're admitting that you haven't got anything to rush home to. It's pathetic, actually. She settled behind her desk and began opening windows on her desktop. I've been teaching the girls to fold the ducks. They seem to like it. It's a challenging grade, the fifth. They come to me as bright and happy children, and I am supposed to teach them fractions and pack them off to middle school. I shudder to think what happens to them there. How old are they? Ten when they started. Most of them have turned eleven already. They graduate next week. She peered at the files she had opened. Some of them. I take it on faith that I was eleven once, I said, but I just don't remember. Your generation grew up in unhappy times. Her face glowed in the phosphors. You haven't had a daughter yet, have you, Miss Hardaway? No. We contemplated my childlessness for a moment. Did Rashmi like origami? I didn't mean anything by it. I just didn't want to listen to the silence anymore. Rashmi? She frowned as if her daughter were a not very interesting kid she had taught years ago. No. Rashmi was a difficult child. I found Kate for meal last night. I said, I told her what you said, that you were sorry. She wanted to know what for. What for? She said that Rashmi was crazy and that she hated you for having her. She never hated me, said Najma quickly. Yes, Rashmi was a sad girl, anxious. What is this about, Miss Hardaway? I think you were at the Comfort Inn that night. If you want to talk about that, I would like to hear what you have to say. If not, I'll leave now. She stared at me for a moment, her expression unreadable. You know, I actually wanted to have many children. She got up from the desk, crossed the room, and shut the door as if it were made of hand-blown glass. When the seating first began, I went down to City Hall and actually volunteered. That just wasn't done. Most women were horrified to find themselves pregnant. 
I talked to a bot who took my name and address and then told me to go home and wait. If I wanted more children after my first, I was certainly encouraged to make a request. It felt like I was joining one of those mail-order music clubs. She smiled and tugged at her dupata. But when Rashmi was born, everything changed. Sometimes she was such a needy baby, bustling to be picked up, but then she would lie in her crib for hours, listless and withdrawn. She started antidepressants when she was five, and they helped. And the Department of Youth Services issued me a full-time bot helper when I started teaching. But Rashmi was always a handful. And since I was all by myself, I didn't feel like I had enough to give to another child. You never married, I asked. Found a partner? Married who? Her voice rose sharply. Another woman? Her cheeks colored. No, I wasn't interested in that. Najma returned to her desk but did not sit down. The girls will be coming soon. She leaned towards me, fists on the desktop. What is this that you want to hear, Miss Hardaway? You found Rashmi before I did. How? She called me. She said that she had had a fight with her girlfriend who was involved in some secret experiment that she couldn't tell me about, and they were splitting up and everything was shit. The world was shit. She was off her meds, crying, not making a whole lot of sense. But that was nothing new. She always called me when she broke up with someone. I'm her mother. And when you got there? She was sitting on the bed. Najma's eyes focused on something I couldn't see. She put the inhaler to her mouth when I opened the door. Najma was looking into room 103 of the Comfort Inn. And I thought to myself, what does this poor girl want? Does she want me to witness her death or stop it? I tried to talk to her, you know. She seemed to listen, but when I asked her to put the inhaler down, she wouldn't. I moved toward her slowly. Slowly, I told her that she didn't have to do anything, that we could just go home. And then I was this close. She reached a hand across the desk. And I couldn't help myself. I tried to swat it out of her mouth. Either she pressed the button or I set it off. She sat down abruptly and put her head in her hands. She didn't get the full dose. It took forever before it was over. She was in agony. I think she'd made up her mind, Miss Jones. I was only trying to comfort her. She wrote the note. I wrote the note. She glared at me. I did. There was nothing I could say. All the words and all the languages that had ever been spoken wouldn't come close to expressing this mother's grief. I thought the weight of it must surely crush her. Through the open windows, I heard the snort of the first bus pulling into the turnaround in front of the school. Najma Jones glanced out at it, gathered herself, and smiled. Do you know what Rashmi means in Sanskrit? No, ma'am. Ray of sunlight, she said. The girls are here, Miss Hardaway. She picked up the origami on her desk. We have to be ready for them. She held it out to me. Would you like a swan? By the time I came through the door of the school, the turnaround was filled with buses. Girls poured off them and swirled onto the playground. Giggling girls, whispering girls, skipping girls, girls holding hands. And in the warm June sun, I could almost believe they were happy girls. They paid no attention to me. I tried Sharifa's call. Hello? Her voice was husky with sleep. Sorry I didn't make it home last night, sweetheart, I said. Just wanted to let you know that I'm on my way.
So, it's over. What would James Tiptree Jr. have made of Raymond Chandler? Men or Trouble is my humble attempt at an answer. Writing this story gave me an excuse to reread much of Chandler. If you are a fan of the English language who is not yet familiar with the master of noir, let me commend Farewell My Lovely or The Long Goodbye or just about any of his novels to your attention. I expect everyone listening to this knows Tiptree's work. As a student of the short form, I regard her as one of my wisest teachers, even though I never got the chance to meet her. I brought Men Are Trouble to the Sycamore Hill Writers' Workshop in 2003, and without the hard-headed criticism of my friends there, this story would not be a Nebula nominee. But it wasn't until after I brought it home that I finally understood what my story was about. You see, the version I workshopped ended in the alley in Chapter 7. But I knew that wasn't enough closure either for me or the reader. But what more was there to tell? The longer I thought about this, the more I understood that there was an important character missing in my telling of Men Are Trouble. The mom, Najma Jones. In the Sycamore Hill version, she was hardly in the story at all. So, I went back and wrote chapter 3, the school chapter, to introduce her. The scene with the little girl's jumping rope is one of my favorites in this story. And writing chapter 3 meant I could write chapter 8, in which Faye goes to report what has happened. But when I started writing it, I was dissatisfied. It couldn't be about Faye telling Najma things that the reader already knows. Najma had to tell Faye something. That's when I realized that Najma had gone to the Comfort Inn. This came as a complete surprise to me and was really exciting. Of course, I had to do quite a bit of rewriting, but I whipped through that so I could get to Chapter 8. I could hardly type fast enough as I wrote the scene in which Najma reveals what happened the night of Rashmi's death. But what really stunned me was the moment when Faye tries to reassure Najma that Rashmi has intended to kill herself because she had written a suicide note. You may find this hard to believe, but I didn't know until then that Najma had typed the note. It's moments like that when plot and character come together effortlessly that make the writing life, my writing life, worthwhile. I don't need men or trouble to win a nebula to have it be one of my very favorite stories. This is Jim Kelly. Thanks for listening to Men Are Trouble on Free Reads. I'm afraid I'm going to have to take a brief hiatus from this podcast, but I'll be back in early April, I swear, and with some surprises. So long for now. <laughs>